Hello and you're very welcome back to Series 6 of The Public Eye, a five-part series of podcasts brought to you by Granite Exchange. My name is Sarah Travers, I'm your host and throughout this series I'll be speaking with local entrepreneurs and business owners to learn more about how their companies have come to be, to gain insight into their growth and find out how they continue to innovate. So wherever you get your podcasts from, remember to keep an eye out for new episodes and subscribe to stay up to date. Well, today I'm really delighted to be joined by Tanya McGeehan, Managing Director of MCG Investments Limited. Tanya, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Delighted to be here. Now, before we begin, I'm going to give a little bit of background into your business. MCG Investments is director Tanya McGeehan's second property-focused firm. It was her move into the family trade that first sparked her passion for property. MCG Investments, which specialises in residential property investment opportunities in Northern Ireland, offers a range of services, including sourcing, acquiring and refurbishing buy-to-let properties and delivering extensive residential refurbishments for resale working alongside investors and joint venture partners. It's an incredible story and Tanya has built up an amazing portfolio throughout her career and is now recognised as one of Northern Ireland's leading female entrepreneurs. Can you believe all of this, Tanya? Because (laughs) you and I know each other from way back, but you have achieved so much in such a short time. Yeah, well, I mean... That last statement, I'm not sure whether I would necessarily agree with that one or not. Um, depends who you're speaking to. But, um, and sometimes I do have to pinch myself because, you know, I am probably my worst critic and would necessarily <coughs> say that I have um, achieved a lot of success. But at the same time, when I do look back at where we started, we have come so far and it has been an unbelievable journey. Um, So tell us about how it all started because it started with the family business. Yes it did. So um, you know it's a bit of um, the story, it's a sad story that starts a very sad story um, for my family but it's like out of everything you have a positive outcome um, in lots of bad situations. So it started with my father unfortunately falling unwell and then has since passed away almost 10 years ago now, actually this March he'll be um, gone 10 years. And my dad owned his own uh, property business and when he got sick, um, my mum had asked if I would be able to come in and help her run the company um, because say just due to his illness he wasn't able to continue on managing it himself. So in 2009, um, I um, started to work in the family business and I still work in that family business um, to this day. It's very much my mum's business, but I work and and help her run it. Um, And so it's through that pathway that I found my love for property. And after a number of years, um, decided to set up my own company, which is, I can't believe I'm saying this, but some five years ago. Um, And at that stage, my love property, which I had identified through the previous years, was more in the refurbishment side of things. So obviously with my parents' rental portfolio business, um, 
you've, you obviously have to keep upgrading properties and, and, and modernizing them and etc. And so that's how I got the introduction. So that's what your parents' business <coughs> was, was rental properties? It was a portfolio of rental is. properties, still is, yes. And there was some um, land development in that as well. So give us a plug, what's the name of the business? Um, well, it's now under just my mum's Jeanette Duffy properties. So that's in my mum's business. It's no longer a company. It's under her um, sole name. Um and so, yes, through the refurbishments of the properties, that's where I found that love of converting a property and seeing the big, massive transformation from a being a distressed house to a beautiful family home. And uh, that's the part of the business, the property industry that I really uh, wanted to pursue. And so I had no big um, ambitions to become a property tycoon as such. Um, I simply wanted to do something that I really enjoyed and, um, you know, literally... sub changed my income from one wage in a job that I didn't love to another um, income stream. And so that's how it started off. So five years ago, really, you took the plunge. Um, <coughs> already, you know, you've mentioned that you, you don't even see yourself as, when I described you as one of Northern Ireland's leading female entrepreneurs, it's like, is that really no, me? that's um, not me. <laughs> you know, how would you have seen yourself before that? Because... I actually know your family and I knew, yes. you know, I, I met you actually when your when your daddy had, had just passed away because mm -hmm. he had dementia, as did my dad. And yes. we met on that dementia journey and, and organised a big fundraiser. Your wonderful family, mm -hmm. your mum, Jeanette, and your amazing sisters. Mm -hmm. You're just such an incredible family. And, you know, back then, I suppose you would have said to me, oh, I'm pretty much, um, you know, I'm a mum and yes. I have my family and they mean a lot to me. Tell me about what happened then with, with moving on and going, do you know what? I'm going to do this. Oh, my goodness. This is actually such a funny story. And, um, like, my sisters, particularly my sister Lisa, would literally love this conversation because, um, you know, a lot of Lisa and Stephen, my husband, would say that I have transformed an awful lot in the last number of years through through my business. Prior to that, I would say from a business perspective, I was quite lost. Yes, I would definitely say I was very lost. I didn't know what I wanted to do. You were the eldest of the four girls. I'm the eldest, yes, of the four girls. And I was married first and I had my children straight away and so family and the children was were the was the focus and um, there was not even there was no such thing as a career um there was a job but it was a job just like nine to five means to an end there was no big career with it whereas my other three sisters all had very well established careers and <coughs> were very ambitious career women uh, and still are to this day and um so out of the four of us I suppose I always felt a wee bit lost in that regard because I, I didn't have a career of my own. I didn't have a particular career pathway that I was passionate about and I always felt that there was something missing from me and that did really always um, knock my confidence and mm. most people that know me, especially from the outside, unless you know me really well, would think that I'm overconfident, very confident and for people that know me well know that that's not actually the real me and so I would have been uh, lacking a lot of confidence for many years and I always remember one event um, that Lisa and I went to when I was just starting out in, in my own business. So we're talking five years ago and it was, um, I think it was uh, International Female Women's Day mm -hmm. um, and we were at an event in the Lyric Theatre um, and again, it was a female event. I can't remember now if it was women in business. Or, I think or I was probably there too. You might have been there, is right. And so we had to do, um, you know, like the speed networking at the table and you had to turn around to the person to, you know, to your left or your right to introduce yourself and give a little bit of a 30 second 
you know, the elevator pitch nearly yeah. as to who you are. <clears throat> and Lisa was sitting beside me and she had turned to the lady at the other side of her, but she was listening to her lady, but also one ear was listening to my intro to the other person. And she actually nearly started nipping me under the table to stop me in my stride because it was like career suicide. I started, instead of introducing just who I am and believing in what I was doing, I started to say, well, my daddy got sick and my mummy wanted me to come in and help her business. So I'm kind of doing that and I'm kind of doing this. So, um, and yeah, in a way, you started the podcast doing that today. Oh, did I? <laughs> but you know, that's so important as to how it happened. Mm-hmm. And yeah. sometimes I suppose it takes an outsider to look in um, and see your strength. So, you know, you were there as the eldest daughter helping with a family business. Your late father became ill with early onset dementia at such a young age. Yeah, 53. I mean, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Really so young. your mum and your dad needed you to, to, to step into that breach. It mightn't have been the career that you'd chosen, but you saw what needed to be done. Yes. And you stepped in and you were there for that time. Yes. So, you know, when I hear, I hear a completely different story of somebody who's quite selfless mm-hmm. and who knows what needs to be done and, and steps into the, into the breach and, and, and have done it brilliantly. Yeah. However... Fast forward, having the babies, getting mm-hmm. up a bit, and there's that feeling inside that I never quite yeah. had that career. Now is your time. That's correct. Absolutely. That's what, exactly how I feel because my kids are older. They're, I mean, they're, they still need their mum and dad, but they're not as um, dependent on it as they, as they previously were. So I do feel like it is my time now that I can pursue uh, this career path for me. And um, there might be other people listening to this who yeah. feel that maybe... They've missed their opportunity. They should have mm-hmm. done it when they're they're younger. I mean, you you're, you are young. Oh. How old are you now? I know I'm not supposed <laughs> to coming ask up anything. on the old forty five, Sarah. Well, hello. <laughs> so at forty, that kind of oh, I really think that you come into your prime at that age. Yes. I think you know who you are. You know you've still got. If you're going to do something, you've yes. got to get on with it. Oh yes, I definitely believe that. Actually, as you come uh, uh, as you enter your forties, that's actually the best words to describe it. You know who you are more in your forties. In your thirties, you're still trying to figure that out, and and most people are maybe growing a family or they're getting married, and so you're still not really realizing and finding out who you as an individual are. Because yes, we have all the labels. You're a mum. You're a daughter. You're a sister. You're a wife. All a lot of labels and a lot of you know responsibility. But then there's just you as an individual and for me my business allows me to be Tanya as an individual not with all the other labels with it and so that's so important to me and um, yeah definitely anybody listening in I would say um, age is absolutely irrelevant it's about how much you want it and how much you're prepared to go out and look for it and yeah you can do it at any age. This podcast is sponsored by Granite Legal Services, a niche business and immigration law practice located in the heart of Newry City. Granite Legal Services provides legal advice to both individuals and companies alike across a wide range of industries, from employment, commercial or corporate law matters to immigration law. Granite Legal Services focuses on providing legally sound, practical advice to its clients. To get in touch, visit www.granitelegalservices.co.uk or contact 028 3026 2200. That's so interesting (coughs) because um, I run with my own business uh, resilience courses for businesses. Yes. And I did a fabulous session uh, just yesterday with a group of women 
from all ages, but m- mostly young women, maybe in their kind of early career stage. Okay. And we were goal setting, you know, for the year ahead. And some people are, oh, goodness, I don't oh. Some wanted to be, you know, way further mm-hmm. forward than they were. And others were going, oh, I don't set myself goals because I don't want to be disappointed. But so many of their goals were aligned to their roles. So I want to be a better partner, a better wife, a better mother, a better... It was all sort of tied into mm-hmm. the label, as you said. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And I said, right, strip all of that back. You know, actually, it's not being selfish, but no. what do you want? Yeah. Why do you want it? And what actions can you take That's to correct. get it? You can be all. You can do it all. You don't have to feel like you're... Um, you, you know, your sacrifice and your responsibilities as a mother or as a wife or, or daughter, you you can do all of that. Mm. But it's so important that you remember to do stuff that's important to you yourself because you'll only look back with regret. And that's one thing I've always, always um, felt so important through my um, the process with my dad and his illness is that we never had any regrets. And I don't th- I think life is too short to have regrets. So if there's anybody out there with any kind of a burning desire, you know, there's no such thing, and this is even in property, there is no such thing as the perfect time. You don't wait for the perfect time. You just get up and you start and you do it tomorrow because life is just passing us all by too quickly and you don't know if you're going to be here tomorrow. So to me, don't have regrets. And I do believe in that um, you should at least try something and not be afraid of failing. You know, it's better to have tried and failed than not to have tried at all. Mm. You know, take the risk and believe in yourself and just get out there and try. I've just realised that I actually <coughs> set up my own business at exactly the same age as really? you after you working go. for other people forever in a day. And uh, But there you go, there must be something. And yeah. I'd lost my dad, yes. who had developed dementia at a young age. Mm-hmm. And he was older than your dad now, but 62. It's and then I think of all the things that he wanted to achieve, all the things he and mummy wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then he was gone at 67. And it is a wake-up call, isn't it? Time. It's a massive wake up call, and my dad was the same. Now, my mom and dad had a great life, thankfully, and they, you know, they did enjoy it, and they did go great holidays and great friends. But they were still only getting started. You know, they had so much more that they wanted to do. So, from that perspective, it's a case of, you know, stop putting off till tomorrow what you can do today. Like, so take me back to the lyric theatre after Lisa's oh. nipping <laughs> you and telling you to stop talking about the sad story and actually say, "This is who I am, and this yeah. is what I want to do." Where did it go next? Well, at that stage, I essentially was investing in property. So I'm not a big fan of titles, as a lot of people will know. So, you know, I was a property investor, if you like. That is the pathway and the career path that I was um, uh, starting to pursue. But I didn't want to come out and say out loud, I'm a property investor. It just sounded, okay. I'm being a bit of a fraud here. And that's not who I am. And I didn't own it. And I, you know, I just couldn't say it out loud. So, you know, I very much can say it out loud now because I'm actively doing that. So I am a property investor and developer. And uh, I'm delighted to be one. Um, But it does take time, you know, that you or accept that and you realise that that is who you are and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think partly it's maybe down to the fact that it's quite a male-orientated industry and then a female coming into it. I mean, there are lots and lots of females that work in the property industry as employees, but there's not too many female entrepreneurs that are actually running their own property business mm. as such. And so I think that's where I kind of maybe always had the imposter syndrome in me, you know, and I still have that and there's no doubt about that. So again, I don't think that ever goes away. But you can hold your head up high yes. now. You can look somebody in the eye and yeah. say, 
I am a property investor. Absolutely. And I have my own business and it's successful. Yes, and it's doing great. And mm-hmm. would you would I be having this conversation with the man <laughs> about oh can no. you do th- no. Well, I mean maybe. no because That's th- they a bit may of be a sweeping statement, but yeah. you know. Well they maybe suffer it, but I don't think they come out loud and admit it. So, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of mm-hmm. men out there, if they're being completely honest, would admit that they have had imposter syndrome at some point in time as well in maintenance. I, I think it's very natural. It's just something that we're all afraid to admit. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I had it lots of times and I still do have it. But you know, that's also a good thing because if you're having imposter syndrome, it means that you know that you're not the you know the most successful person in the room. There's somebody else doing bigger, better things than you, which means that you're always learning. So you started so. small, did you? You started, you were, you were small. Okay, so you, do you remember the first property that you... Yes, I do. Um, It was in Ravenhill Avenue, actually, on the same street as uh, my sister Lisa lives in now, 85 Ravenhill Avenue, and I bought it in auction. Um, And I have to say, I'm glad to say that I... um, yeah, I made money on it. I just about broke even. So I did make money on it, didn't lose money, which was great, given that it was my first one. But again, I did learn a valuable a lesson with that one because I was renovating that house like I was about to move into it. So it was like my home. <laughs> High spec. And you don't do that. So you, you, you can't renovate a home to the same extent and degree that you would to your own house. It, it can't be done like that. But that's fine. It's, that's part of the learning experience, you know. But, uh, oh yeah, I remember that one really well. I loved it. <laughs> so whoever got into that one must have been delighted. Oh, it would have the most amazing walk-in wardrobe <laughs> I would love for myself. <laughs> it was fabulous. However, you know, <clears throat> having high standards is a good thing too. And I yes. do you not think that that's what customers want? Oh, absolutely. And, and I do um, work to high standards and I expect high standards. Um, I set them for myself and then I expect them of um, my team and the staff. And my team, who are absolutely brilliant, and I'm referring to uh, as well as my own uh, immediate staff, but my, also my trades team that do all the actual hard work on the ground in the refurbishments I've had the same team since I started MCG um, and we all work very well together and as anybody listening in will know one of the biggest problems with anybody doing a refurb most people have done some kind of refurbishment to their own homes or an extension or a new build whatever the case may be and 99% of the stress comes from um, dealing with tradesmen and builders Uh, no offence to any builders or tradesmen (laughs) listening in but you also have pain coming from people like us who are the client as well so it's a two-way street but a lot of the time that is a stressful um, relationship and I always see on social media you're always looking for tradesmen you're always looking for builders you need to develop more relationships yeah well I mean I am doing that um, and that's simply because a reflection of the volume of work that we're doing and so we've a lot more um, projects that are on the go so we need more teams um, and for larger for larger projects but I still have an absolutely brilliant main uh, core local team that I use all the time um, and they're absolutely excellent and they're so loyal and reliable and we have mutual respect and I think that's why we all work together really well and they all now know the standards that I want to work to and what I expect and they kind of nearly know my spec of um, end finish for example that I want to to uh, achieve um, but I need to always have other team there as well for other projects that um or in case some of my guys are uh, simply overwhelmed and have too much work and don't have the capacity, so you always need a, a second team as well. So after Ravenhill, um, you've grown, you're talking about a team now. Um, 
tell me about the business. Where is it at now? In the introduction, I talked about the buy to let, and I also talked about people who want to to buy. So where are you at now? What are you doing? What's the portfolio? Yeah, well, the core services for MCG Investments are that we run a consultancy side of the business. So that consultancy service is, as you have mentioned, it's the sourcing side of the business where clients will recruit us as a consultant to help them acquire buy-to-let investment properties. So there are lots of people out there who want to um, invest in a property for various reasons, whether it be to supplement existing income, whether it be to have a a, a property for their children to live in when they go to university, or maybe for like legacy to leave to their children. Um, It's maybe also to kind of supplement pension later in life, and they want to start acquiring properties that can grow um, and achieve capital growth and value over the next 10, 15, 20 years. So uh, most people, number one, are time poor and don't have the time to do that. Uh, number two, don't have the knowledge or the experience of, of to where to start. Um, and, you know, there are often a lot of investment properties that are bought and they're not good deals and they weren't bought correctly. So you do need to know what you're doing. It's not as simple as just going out and looking at a property and buying it. So um, our consultancy service provides a one-stop shop we do everything so we've got the experience and the knowledge of the areas we've got the team on the ground um, we know the areas we know the numbers and so then we can go out and source and acquire the property for our clients um, we oversee the conveyance and process of it um, we make sure that they're appointed to the right management and let an agent and get the right tenant who's vetted so that by the time we step away they've got themselves a new investment property with a tenant already in, in place um, so that's really that service has, has been really, uh, really, really grown in the last eighteen months, um, and we foresee that to continue growing this year. Um, investing in property is a great investment all round. You can't really beat uh, investing in bricks and mortar, um, and it's a sound investment. So with that, there are so many people out there that are looking to invest in property, and so there are not too many services in Northern Ireland that are doing and offering the service that we do. So that's one side of it. And then we do, as you've mentioned, we also engage in the, um, the buy to flip, which is restoring distressed properties. We do that just as a company ourselves, and we do it through joint ventures with private clients. Again, for people that are time poor and experience poor. Um, so they don't want to start working and refurbishing a property without the right team on the ground, without knowing the right areas, knowing the numbers. So a joint venture is a great way for them to be able to piggyback off somebody like ourselves who've got the experience and have done it for years. Um, and yet then they get to avail of the um, the capital um, increase in value that we add to the properties. Um, we also have a difference arm to the business as well. Um, it's a separate company called TE Property, um, which is myself and another female business partner. And that's very much our land and new build development side of the business. Um, that's quite a new mm. side of the business, which we've only really started um, working on in the last nine months. Um, and so my through TE Property with my business partner Elizabeth, we have acquired a number of different apartment schemes, which we're at different stages of at the moment. So 2022 is very much about um, growing the development side of the business, which is very challenging um, in Northern Ireland for various different reasons to do with planning issues mm. and, and, mm. and other such challenges with um wastewater etc but that's an extremely exciting side of the business one which I absolutely love and I'm delighted so and how will that look who would be the I mean will you be selling directly to um 
the public the public right yes okay. so those will be um for example apartment scheme that will be selling um, on the market to uh, to the public so as you know there's a huge shortage of housing in northern ireland mm-hmm. um so it's about trying to um i suppose increase that supply of housing um, a very exciting world too when you're looking at sustainable um and responsible construction as well. Would you be all into the eco-friendly? Yes, we, we will. It's, I mean, that's where we'll very much rely on the experts. Like um, the whole industry of property is a minefield and you cannot be an expert in every area of yeah. it, which is why for me, it's about the entire larger team that we work with. Um, and then everyone, we bring in the experts that know exactly what are the best types of materials, the most environmental friendly, the most... Um, efficient um, types of materials to use when you're constructing a building Um, and I have to say I'm a big huge believer in working with the best people in in their particular field and growing growing really good relationships and network and we have been doing that. Yeah one of the things we have done in the last number of years and been working really hard on is growing our team of professionals that we work with so whether that be um, engineers, quantity surveyors, architects, planning consultants, all of those different professionals play a very vital role in um, property development. Um, so I certainly am not going to sit here and claim to be an engineer and know everything about um, the requirements of engineering in a property. I don't, which is why then we recruit the the experts in that field. So in terms of being um, more eco-friendly, we will recruit the we have recruited the right professionals who know that industry well, and then we can incorporate that into our design. It's incredibly exciting, Tanya, and just give us a sense of, of the property market in Northern Ireland at the minute. I mean, I know you and I had a conversation before Christmas and you were saying that property in Northern Ireland is so sought after at the minute yes. from people everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere, yeah. We're in a, you know, Northern Ireland's an absolutely uh, great place to be for uh, in the property market. I mean, no matter what agent you'll speak to, the majority of them will tell you that their biggest problem and biggest challenge at the moment is, is stock. They just can't get the stock to meet the demand so um, yeah your demand is very much outstripping the supply of properties in Northern Ireland and particularly properties of of a good standard um, finish Um, there is a lot of first time um, demand from first time buyers Um, so that is set to continue I know there's an awful lot of challenges going on in the world at the moment between um, inflation obviously going through the roof um, particularly building materials the costs going through the roof um, problems with labour shortages um, drivers um, it, it's just constantly something new in the news that's very negative but we all have to try our bit and just kind of try to nearly uh, drown out the negativity um, out there and just keep pushing forward as much as we can because there are people out there who want to buy homes there are people out there who want to build homes and, and if we can just get around the other challenges and um, you know, I just think it's a really exciting time in Northern Ireland to be involved in property. Um, and you've really established yourself in this market and in this world. I mean, even if you, if anybody wants to check out Tanya's uh, social media accounts, um, you're very much at the forefront. Um, and, you know, you're you're calling it out to, you're lobbying, you're informing. It's not just look at this great house, I flipped this today, you know, having a chosen lovely carpets it is literally like this needs to be done and our politicians need to step up and sort this out you know yeah, well, I mean, um, I wouldn't. I'm not going to say I'm not. I'm certainly not up in the Stormont uh, steps of Stormont uh, lobbying right in front of them. But I mean, I am very much all on for. Um, I suppose speaking out and vocalising the challenges that we do have and and so much so that actually 
um, I'm due to start my third series of webinars now um, in February, one in February, March and April of this year. This I actually started these in the very beginning of lockdown in April 2020 uh, when everybody was um, turning to virtual meetings and to online um, seminars and, and so forth and webinars. So we decided to jump on that bandwagon too and, and we hosted them back then. We did another series last um, January, February and we're, again, as I said, we're doing another now in February, March and April. And in each of those webinars, we're bringing experts from different areas and different sectors of the property industry to talk about their experiences on the ground in Northern Ireland. So, for example, um, we have got um, Carl McTaggart, who's chief executive of Clan Mill um, Housing Association, is going to be coming on speaking about the current position and situation with social housing in Northern Ireland, which is uh, is obviously a very, very important um, issue. And there are so many people out there really struggling to get a home. Mm -hmm. So it'll be great to hear from Carl. We've got um, the likes of Jordan Buchanan, who's a uh, chief economist at Property Pal, who is very much obviously has finger on the pulse of everything to do with property in Northern Ireland. And he's been a great supporter of, of MCG Investments and has been on our a guest on our previous two webinars. And, and is again coming on to this one. Um, so through those webinars, it's a great way to educate and inform people about what is actually happening on the ground in different sectors of the property industry. So I suppose, yes, from that point of view, we definitely want to do more than just go out and do development for ourselves. It is about educating and providing further information to people because it is a minefield. Mm, it's really interesting too. And when, you know, if you're, if you're not, if you're not au fait with it or you're even interested in getting involved, it's so good to understand, first of all, before you take on something like the responsibility of, of, of buying a property. Absolutely. Um, you've already mentioned that you know, in terms of advice for people, if they're thinking of flipping a house or, you know, refurbing a house, that you, you don't design it as if you're going to move into it. But what other piece of advice would you give to anybody out there who's maybe thinking of doing this? I mean, I love, we mm -hmm. have the most beautiful buildings around Northern Ireland. It makes me so sad I know. to see beautiful old family homes lying in disrepair derelict totally so what advice and it would be so yeah. great to be able to do that but you think oh my goodness I couldn't take that on I know well I absolutely agree with you Sarah I mean I drive around and sometimes nearly crash the car looking at the fabulous homes that are in complete and utter such sad distressed states and I actually think um, this actually frustrates me to a certain extent because we have you know a massive shortage of supply of homes yet we have so many derelict vacant properties lying around the country um, that the likes of people like myself would absolutely love the opportunity and would get stuck in there and be able to transform to a beautiful family home and I know it's only small numbers but every little bit will help contribute towards the overall lack of supply of good quality homes. So for me that's what our government should be helping us to start doing. Start we need to start a campaign. Exactly because if we can't get um, if we can't build new homes because of the situation with our wastewater capacity which is completely completely um, at full capacity now, then let's start transforming the existing buildings that are already there and, and connected to the networks and the sewers. They're and already connected. The pipes. So, yeah. absolutely. And I have tried certain um, so many times to actually find out the names of the owners of a, a number of derelict properties to see if we can buy the property and, and convert it. And actually, that even into flats or whatever. A, you know. Anything. There's so many different options. There's so many options. So, we have tried my team through Land Registry to contact and find out who the owners of so many of these derelict homes are. And it's actually shocking how 
many have absolutely no record of owners <gasps> through land registry. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, it's terrible because that That'd would be a good TV program. That should we, should oh, we pitch oh, that to Sarah, the BBC? That would be a good Tell me one. where and when uh, I'm there. Property investigators. <laughs> I'm telling you, it is. It's terrible. That is and sad. so many beautiful so homes. It really, oh. you know, and the, I mean, if I was doing that alone, I wouldn't even start with the land development because there's enough people out there doing development of new yeah. homes so I would quite happily take on the existing distressed homes I love that but back to your question um, about anyone that was thinking of going out and refurbishing and flipping their own home um, I suppose two of the main key ingredients number one and I'm going to put it as number one is your team the tradesmen team they're absolutely and utterly crucial to it because if you don't have the right team you know it's going to drag on it's going to take twice as long as it would as it should and it, and a buy to flip the very nature of that type of model it's in out it's about turning it around quickly, quickly. getting it back mm-hmm. on the market again and getting it sold so if you're doing it with you don't have the right team and you don't have the right people and god forbid i'm going to say if you try to do it yourself which is a big no no no, no. even if you're a painter if you're a, t- a joiner by trade do not try to do your own refurbs just no. don't this is not upcycling no, your furniture not, this is no. much bigger than that yeah it is and also you've pr- you know if you're a, a joiner or a tailor or whatever the case may be you've got your own job don't try to do it in the evenings or the weekends it's going to take you three times longer you, you know just pay for somebody to come in and do it it'll you know you'll gain in the long uh, in the long run um so that's number one they're the most vital ingredient to it number two you need to know your numbers and i can't stress that enough you need to ha- know your numbers inside out upside down you need to build in contingency because there is no matter how careful you try, once you strip back a distressed property, you do not know what is under those floorboards or what's behind those walls. And you've got to be ready for the unforeseen and you've got to have contingency built in to allow for something. For example, I renovated, refurbished a property last year, which I have posted about in social media. So some people may have already seen this and um, learned a hard lesson whereby whenever I was viewing the property, I didn't check the pathway around the house to see whether it was large enough to get at least even a wheelbarrow (gasps) around. And it wasn't even wide enough to get a wheelbarrow around the side of the house, I kid you not. Um, So much so that after exploring so many options, and I mean I tried every type of engineer, uh, landscaper, gardener, you can... I end up having to close the whole main road, put an application into the road's tra- uh, traffic, and I had to get a crane to lift a digger over the roof of the property uh, to do the landscaping of the garden at the back, which is, was like a, a jungle. And then I had to bring the same crane back to lift the digger back again at the end. You of the were popular with the others in the street. Oh I'm yes, sure. they loved that. Can you imagine? <laughs> so that's how extreme. I'm not thinking about the wheelie bin and where how you get that up. Well, around the, the bin. Back. I know mm-hmm. you couldn't. I mean, I didn't even fit a wheelbarrow. It was that narrow. Well, there you go. There's a lesson. A lesson. So I that's will number always. Two. That's it. So yeah, those. But these things happen, and that's part and parcel of it. Yeah, you learn the hard way, don't you? But that advice is is wonderful in itself. Absolutely. Um, we're nearly finished now, Tanya. You'll be glad to hear. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what strikes me is that you don't even realise your impact, your, the fact that you're an inspiration to others listening. And me right now, mm. you're an inspiration to me. Um, you know your stuff. You know it inside and out. You're definitely not an imposter in this game. <laughs> you're absolutely uh, there and rightfully so. Where do you get that drive from? Because I know you also love your extreme 
challenges. Tell me about this David Goggins challenge you did recently. Oh gosh, I think I'm still scarred from that one. Coming up on nearly a year. I did that last March. Oh, do you know, I don't know where. So who's where David Goggins then? So David Goggins is um, an extreme um, athlete uh, from America. Um, was a, a Navy SEAL um, um, and then it's just into extreme challenges and about pushing your body as much as you possibly can. I'm tired um, is, already. Oh, he, he's absolutely, uh, completely an inspiration um, and has a fabulous podcast and uh, fabulous books. So you should definitely um, give them a read um, or listen in on the audiobook. It's fantastic. So it was round last um, February and, and I go to CrossFit and it was the gyms, as you know, were closed last year after Christmas. And so Stephen and I were just working out on a daily basis at home as we normally do um, when we weren't able to go to the gym and I injured my shoulder during one of the sessions so I couldn't do any of the weight training and I used to run many years ago and had stopped that just kind of fell out of love with it I think I'd, I think I had sickened myself because I had done about six half marathons back wow. to back um, over a period of years and then so I couldn't do the weight training and so I thought I'll do Got back out and do a bit of running just to keep myself occupied um, and keep myself in training. And so I started to run, I remember it was the 15th of February, and then a friend of mine in my property network from across the water had actually said um, that she was doing this David Goggins challenge 4 by 4 by 48 and I'd never heard of it. So 4 I, by 4 by 48. 4 by 4 by 48. So it's 4 miles every 4 hours for a period of 48 hours. Day and night, so let's say you start at midnight, so it's 12, 4, 8, so forth, right through f- till the 48 four hours miles. are up. Four miles run. Now, a four mile run is not a big is not a big run. Most people will be able to manage that, um, certainly with any training, but it's the it's the constant, so it's obviously 12 runs. I'm glad you did that for me, and then I was getting a bit confused. <laughs> 12, 12 runs um, for four miles each time, but it, it's not the run itself, it's the lack of sleep. Yes. So you don't sleep, you're literally waking yourself up to do that. And you're constantly, and at that time we did it, um, I said the last weekend of March and the weather was terrible. So we went through every season, we had rain, we had snow um, and and we had sunshine. Did you have tears? We had a lot of tears. Yeah, we did. We had a lot of tears. Um, Oh yeah, it it definitely was my hardest challenge to date. And I thought that the half marathons prior to that were difficult, but this was a a crazy challenge. But you know what? Uh, It was a great lesson of, of resilience because... It was exceptionally difficult, but I mean, we survived it. We did it. We were fine. I got up the next morning and, and life went on and that was over and, and you did it. So um, I'm absolutely delighted I did it. Um, I did say and promise um, Stephen and my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, Mark and Nicola, Nicola works with us, also took part and did it as well. And uh, I promised them after that I wouldn't have any more crazy harebrained ideas about such challenges. So I haven't mentioned another challenge since. But <coughs> we're only at the start watch of... This tw- space, watch this space, everybody, I think. It's uh, only January. <laughs> you, you know, you've got that drive there. You go for something and you give it your all. Um, the purpose of this <coughs> podcast is to inspire existing business owners and ambitious entrepreneurs to grow their business by offering insight into the success of businesses such as your own, such as MCG Investment Limited. What, finally, advice would you give to those who may have a business idea but have no idea where to begin or are unsure as to whether the risk is worth taking? Um, well, first of all, the risk is worth taking every time. Anytime you even doubt that, put it to the back of your mind and tell yourself it's worth taking. Because, as I said earlier, you're better to have um, failed and tried 
than never to have tried at all because life is too short and yes it's comfortable to stay in the safe zone and not take any risks but you're not living so you need to try anything at all that you are in any way deeply passionate about or even have a small idea of it get out there and try it why not and you must believe in yourself so first of all I can't be stronger to say take the risk and just go and do it today um how do you go about doing it and, and what advice would I give is I would say talk to as many possible people as you can. Talk to everybody. Be a question asker. Ask questions of absolutely everyone. Um, because through that, through asking people, through speaking to people, that is how you will learn. Um, I'm a big believer um, and I've got this this ethos from somebody that I actually massively look up to and, and share who you know well as well is Maria Mackle. Um, I think Maraid, um, and I've stole this from her and I've used it many a time, but she is the person that said it where I heard it first at a woman in business conference where she said that her um, her thing was that she just said, yes, I can to everything and figured out how to do it later. Mm-hmm. And that has always resonated with me. And um, I fully believe in that as well. So say yes to every opportunity that you can, you know, that you can get in front of and then figure out how to do it after that by asking the right people, by speaking to people, by going and meeting people for a coffee. Northern Ireland is a very small area and people, most people want to see people doing well and are quite happy to give you good advice. So the likes of myself, anybody wants to ever come and ask me tips on how I did anything, feel free because, you know, I don't know the answer to everything. I struggled, but I did keep going and meeting people for coffee, reaching out to them on social media, asking if they would help me with you know to explore how do I do x y or z and so for me forming relationships and collaborations is how you move on and you it's just baby steps one day at a time and lovely to hear that you want to give back to and help others it is that mentorship that's so crucial absolutely Tanya it's been a joy as always thank you so much for joining me today and everyone you can join me for another fantastic episode of the public eye podcast very soon wherever you get your podcasts from don't forget to subscribe and follow to stay up to date see you soon thank you This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.